Hey everyone, welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. In this podcast, we'll be breaking down the sermon from the previous week, diving into theological discussions, and even having some fun. Make sure to join us every Wednesday on Spotify, Apple Music, and download our Zion Lutheran Church app for more updates. And with that, we hope you enjoy the Breakthrough Breakdown. All right, well, hey, welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. This is Jason. This is Kate. Derek. Jennifer. Dude, we're on the final week of your series, Derek. How did you, how did you feel preaching yes. your first your first three part series? I thought it went good. Yeah, I was, enjoyed it. Uh, I think I did it a little differently each week, so I thought that was fun. Was was there uh, anything that was a little different, or like did you learn anything from it just in your own having getting to actually work through thoughts? Yeah. Uh, so outlining it, so it, just making sure you didn't burn through all your information in the first week, and making sure that you spaced it out. And built off of it and not just, here's one separate message, here's another message, yeah. here's another message. So that was kind of cool. But uh, two weeks ago when I did the, I got a little fiery on stage, or my version of fiery, it probably really wasn't well, it was that. two Sundays ago. Or, yeah. yeah, and yeah. so uh, I will say about that is I wasn't planning to do that. I don't and think you so, got fiery at all, personally. Well, no, I it, thought it was Holy Spirit. passionate. In, yeah, in the read-through, I went, it was way more, uh, sad. like almost, yeah, there was like a, melancholy to it. Like a malaise. Uh, yeah. That's and a so big word. Right when I got up on stage. So it's actually little, but it's powerful. But when I got up on stage and actually went to, to deliver it, it just came out a little more fiery than melancholy. So I don't think it was fiery. Okay. Well, I, I, I thought it was really good. I, I didn't feel fire. Did. Fire Which is like. What are you talking about? Are you talking the about cross, the, very first the cross? One? Oh, the cross. No, when he was at the end and he got really passionate and his his the inflection of your voice raised and you were really speaking like this and and there was great pauses after the things you were saying. Yeah, yeah, it was passionate. No, I didn't hear fire though. I didn't hear like you're going to hell. Like none of that. Well, I didn't do any through. brimstone. No, I think was, you actually said fire and brimstone. Up. I thought yeah. you said fire. He was fanning the flames. Sorry for being fire brim, brimstone. Those were your words. I didn't feel like it was brimstone at all. But I feel like the first week, did the first week like, get a bit passionate about it too? Yeah, but he was funnier. No, but <laughs> he told a lot of fun. The first one was more joking, yeah. But it was so. still good. There must be a bunch yeah. together. It's nice yeah. to see you in different facets, and especially one right after another where you can really see the growth and different ways that you preach. It was nice. Well, I got to tell you, I thought she did a great job. And uh, I think it's, I'm excited because we're starting back in the dock. And I'm really excited because Woo-hoo! you kind of, yeah, you uh, you like kind it. of built the bridge into what we're going to be, we're starting our, our series, kind of talking about the new mission and vision and kind of the things that we're trying to accomplish here at Zion. And, and I'm super excited about it. Uh, there was a lot to this. So we had, um, let, let's recap, Derek, recap the three, what are the three parts? So the three things you had, community, the cross, and, and what was the new one? New creation. New creation. So sum up just very briefly, very briefly, each one. Okay, so I, I I started with community. Uh, so again, these are these are three themes that I felt like were found throughout uh, all the New Testament. In every book, you could find these three themes. Uh, so the first one is community, and I put that first because good TV show, by the way. I love yeah. community TV show. <laughs> but the reason I put that first is because I feel like it was God and God's intention from the very beginning to for us to be in community, whether it be the the chosen people, the Israelites, or even back to the garden where we weren't yes. alone into the Israelites, and then uh, after Jesus' death, the building of the church, uh, and that whole expansion from then on out, like you, it's just very clear that community is important. Uh, and then that shifted into the cross, which is the, I don't know, it's like, why, why do, why, what is all of this? Why are we doing what we're doing? What is Christianity? And I think the cross is a summary of that, or it's a, I don't know if it's the summary, it's the meat of it. It's the, I don't know, it's why, I don't know. It's what, again, I, I use this phrase a lot, but I think it's, it was God's way of redeeming humanity. And I think the cross is the, is the method he chose, but that is what the gospel sprung from. That is what uh, every, it, it made everything Jesus did more impactful. And I think that's, in, and so I've always stood anything that cheapens the cross, it, it bothers me. But not necessarily the cross as like the symbol of the cross, but what happened at the cross in his resurrection. Yeah. Uh, and then that led into new creation, with which is all this happened. Now, what what goes on next? Or like, what is it supposed to do to us? Because clearly, Jesus dying on the cross for us, it's not supposed to just be, okay, we're good. Yeah. There, there is a transformation. There is a, uh, something is happening. 
uh, until Jesus's return. And so it's kind of that next phase. And I want I don't like calling it an action step because it's more than just that. Uh, it's a way of life. It's a, a I don't know, the transformation. So as you were talking, I, I something that came to mind, and it's actually found in the book of Galatians, is you have this first community, and human nature is to find our own people groups. Right? That's human nature. We still do it today. Lutherans hang out with Lutherans. Baptists hang out with Baptists. Uh, in the Old Testament, it was Jews hang out with Jews, Gentiles with Gentiles. And you have the community, which originally the Jews thought the community was to be Jews. And then the cross came, and the cross said, no, the community looks different because you're now you're a new creation, and now you're also a new community. And I think one of the things that it was striking me, and I don't know why I just thought of this as you were talking, but when Paul speaks in Galatians, I think it's chapter 4, 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor Gentile nor free nor slave nor male nor female. And that's the part of it is that part of that transformation is realizing that now we belong to something bigger than just yeah. an ethnic people group. Yeah, it's human nature to compartmentalize each other. Just that's how we process information is we put you in a category, put anything. And God's like, no, you're doing it wrong. Well, yeah. And then that's what that's I think that's where my mind went is that what if it's not just did we become a new creation, but God created also a new creation of a community. Like now, all of a sudden, you have people. I mean, yeah, I think uh, especially in modern times, we don't see the denominational differences as much anymore. But I know I have I talked to some older individuals, and they'll talk about like entire towns, especially in the Midwest. Oh, those Lutherans, they don't like the Baptists. Like we have this tendency to want to go with people who look like us, talk like us, believe like us, and the cross kind of breaks those walls down. And how many of you have you ever had that moment where you'll be maybe on a plane or talking with somebody and you just can tell that there there's something different. You know they're a Christian. And maybe you have nothing in common other than Jesus. So I don't know. That just struck me as you were talking about it because that is that's a different form of creation. It's not just your new creation, but it's a creation of a new It's a community. totality of new creation. Yeah, and it brings us back to that first part of the community is that we were humanity is supposed to be the community. It's not supposed to be broken down by ethnic groups or by color of skin yeah. or by denomination. For those who are in Christ, it's Jesus is the unifying yeah. uh, denominator, common denominator. That's the phrase. Yeah. yeah right? And that gives it that, that kingdom mentality of this new kingdom come in this. Yeah. That's a part of it where that's the new community that unifies all of us. I had, I don't remember where I heard this, but someone said, when we get up to heaven, some of us are going to be surprised by who's there and who's not there. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to give it to go, I did not expect you to be here. And other people are like, hey, where's Bill? I was certain Bill was going to be here. I, I kind of bring it up in the... I hope I'm not the one where they're like, where's... oh, she's here? <laughs> you! <laughs> I had no idea you'd be here. I, I, I'll be honest. I was many nights Sorry. praying. Sorry, I hope I'll be joined. You were going to say something's profound, I'm sure. And I it's asked for that. Almost I everything. Was like, I was imagining heaven and all of a sudden people being like, I did not expect her to be there. <laughs> I kind of want that actually. I didn't even show you. You and Jesus like that's my guy. That's my boy. Yeah. What? I don't think Jesus talks like that. But if he no, did, it would be dope. <laughs> Derek, stop banging your head at me. No, I was just going to say that <laughs> in, the, in the first sermon that that I did, we did talk about like uh, unity and diver like there's yeah. unity and diversity. Like yeah. the, that the diversity of of the Christ followers, you find unity in that. That Jesus is that unifying factor. And then yeah. that's basically feels like half of Corinthians is about that. It's probably just like one or two chapters, <laughs> but it feels like most of Corinthians is about that of like, you know, how different people make up the body and make up the yeah, different parts. Different but it's all one body. Yeah. But I like, I like that perspective of though, is that that's also a new creation in yeah. itself. I think that's interesting as, as well. And that all forms from the common bond that is Christ and yeah. what he did. So it's more of a macro. Cool macro view of it well we, we you you touched on a little bit on the trinity and in sermon read through which by the way i actually i had a i had a cool conversation with somebody at church um we were meeting this week and she goes i've never heard of a church that do, does a sermon read through and she goes i love the fact that you allow other perspectives that it's not just one person bringing their wisdom because that's really cool and i'm like i didn't think of it i got it from one of my pastors who probably got it from somewhere else but um I think it's it's cool, particularly with the breakthrough breakdown. I've had individuals who've told me who have listened how much they've appreciated the diverse opinions and how we kind of work through things. So it's cool to hear that um, the conversations that take place in the sermon read through in this that are not it's not just about the stage. Yeah. Um, so we talked about the Trinity, 
And uh, I, <laughs> and sort of read through, uh, there's no good analogy to adequately describe the Trinity. If you get a chance, if you're listening to this, look up on YouTube, Lutheran satire, bad analogies. And uh, it actually goes through all the horrible analogies that we try and use to describe the Trinity. And it's really funny. Um, but we talked about this, the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that this idea of, um, and although I don't know if you touched in the sermon per se, but they are ultimately in community. They are the perfect representation of community um, from the beginning, because I think one of the things that uh, I used to think when I was a rather new believer is that God needed to create us because he was lonely. Like God's up in the sky going, man, I'm really bored. I, I need to I need to create something. I'm going to make man, right? Let's make like some mouthy, rude, broken things, and they'll spend time with me. Yeah. and. <laughs> That's not a good idea. And yet the picture we see in Scripture is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always had perfect community. Um, uh, Colossians talks a lot about this divinity and the supremacy of Christ and Jesus being the fullness of God revealed. When you were talking through that, uh, let's go back to the Jesus Plus, which was three weeks ago now. Um, how important do you think it is for us as a, for us as believers for us to understand Jesus's community with the Father and the Holy Spirit? How important do you think that? Because I mean, yeah, you can go, oh yeah, he had it, but what is that model for us? What do you guys think? Do I need to say that again? You were, I think you were distracted. I'm in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cry. All right. So how important? This goes back to the Jesus plus. How important it is is it for us as believers to understand that Jesus had community with the Father and the Spirit, that even on the cross, the Father and the Spirit were still present, that yeah. that Jesus was in, in community with them always. What does that mean for us? What do you think? I think it models um, the ability to, not, I don't want to use the word access of the Holy Spirit, but just the, um, the, the unity that is displayed there that it's like that you're so ingrained that you're so vulnerable and able right with one another and there's not a, a fracture or a brokenness in that and so you know when even when you were talking about new creation and community what would that look like what would it look like to have completely real relationships with people without fractures yeah. and so that's what i kind of think of when i think of Jesus with um with God the Father and the Holy Spirit here on earth of like he I mean we say this all the time but he experienced he experienced the best way to be human. I mean my, minus like yeah. you know dying on the cross. That's <laughs> not awesome. For him. Well, but you could still say even in that he how he handled death yeah. was sure. the best possible way to sure. be human even even being victimized, he said, forgive them for, yeah, right. they don't know what they're right. doing. Yeah. Suffering is a human experience, and how he suffered was perfectly, I guess, yeah. you know? Well, suffering is the bookend, bookends of community, of humanity, because we're born through suffering, yeah. and we die through suffering. I mean, that's, that, that is the bookend. We come into the Certainly world. Certainly some suffering sprinkled in between. <laughs> yeah, well, but yeah, and it's, but I think that you kind of touched on that. I think the, this is why Paul emphasizes so much about unity is that Jesus was always in perfect unity with the father. Even in that moment in the garden, when Jesus says, father, dad, if it's at all possible, take this cup from me. It doesn't mean he's not united. He's just saying, if there's a different way, I'd be okay. Yeah. <laughs> but well, Or just even the, the anticipation. Even, yeah, or just even the ability to have that conversation with someone and know yeah. both and to know where each other's intentions are, what their motives are, what their, yeah. like, even the fact that Jesus could go to God the Father and go, yeah. is there another way? And not have God the Father read into that. You know, you know some... it's like, I think about how I talk to you sometimes. Finally, my husband's not on the podcast with me, but it's like, <laughs> oh, I'm struggling in my marriage. And I go to like my sister in Christ and I say these, like Jennifer knows my husband. She she wants my my marriage to be good. She's not going to yeah. sit there and be like, oh, your, your husband's this bad thing and whatever. She's not going to put me or my husband down. She's going to, understand where I'm coming from and let me just vent and let me be vulnerable. It's almost like that's how I, I, I can kind of almost relate to that, of what Jesus is doing there. Where he's like, yeah. I'm just being vulnerable here. I don't, I don't know if he really was like saying, oh, I don't want to do this so much as 
this is going to be hard this to do. This is going to be hard. Help, help me yeah. through this. Yeah. So I'm reading uh, Townsend and Cloud, Henry Cloud and Pete, not Pete Townsend, Town, whatever his <laughs> first name is, uh, a book called Safe People. And it's all about having understanding safe relationships. And one of the things it talks about is for people who struggle with safe relationships is the inability to be vulnerable or to share when they have needs. And it's, I'm reading this last part and I'm not like towards the end of the book and in it, he makes this, he gives these steps for people who struggle with safe relationships, said one of the safest things you can do is when you have needs that you actually say, I have a need. I need you in my life. I need this moment. And Jesus never had a hard time expressing his needs, but how often do we have a hard time? I don't want to come across as weak or needy. Absolutely. And he defines in his book, he defines neediness as healthy. The really unhealthy person is the person who never has any needs. That won't acknowledge their needs. That's right. And there's a difference between being needy, the person who's mm-hmm. always needing something from you. And being self-aware. And having self-awareness of going, in this moment, I need friends. I yeah. need a friend. And as I'm reading, I'm like, wow, that's a really profound thought connecting that with Jesus. Sure. Because here's Jesus in the garden. And once he has a need, his need is he doesn't want to go to the cross. And he feels safe enough, vulnerable enough to go to the Father And then he invites his best friends, hey, will you pray in the garden with me? And they fall asleep. Now, I will say, I think Jesus had the Holy Spirit that kept him through the night. They didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. I mean, he breathed on them at one point in the book of John. We see this where he breathes on them and kind of gives them a foreshadowing of the Spirit. But I I wonder if the reason why even Peter and I think it was Peter and John, no, Peter and James. No, who is it? Yeah, Peter, James, John are in the garden with him. They can't keep their eyes open. They're best friends with Jesus, and they have they see that Jesus is struggling, and he's like, hey, would you guys pray with me? And they can't do it. But I wonder if what sustained Jesus was that perfect unity with the Father yeah. and the Spirit, that he had community, and they were missing that. I think the other part of that, too, is part of that perfect community is understanding each other's character. And so Jesus yeah. understood God the Father's character, that mm. he was trusting and trustworthy with his needs yeah. and yeah. with his life. And so I think that's the other part. Like the, I think that's another significant part of if I, if I were to have perfect unity with a human being, how that would affect that. But also just, um, and I don't know if I'm theologically right on this, but even just a perfect unity with, which I don't think, I don't think you can right now because we still live in a world broken by sin, but a perfect unity with, God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, where it's like, I know, I know what I, I know, because there's not a, there's not a fracture in that. Yeah. It's like an intimate knowledge that he would possess in this perfect community with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus had a perfect community. We don't. We don't. And I think that's part of the struggle and why Jesus has so much authority and power is at one point Jesus says, listen, I only do what the Father tells me to. He had such an, I mean, how amazing would that be able to be like, hey, dad, what should I do today? Okay. Like, I'll, I, I can pray and say, hey, God, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, go grocery shopping? I don't know. <laughs> but he, he heard it. Yeah. And this, okay, and it's just a play on words, but it hit me. What's the, We have the idea of the character of God, but how many of us have caricatures of God? Oh, absolutely. Especially, I feel like when I was new to, newer to faith or you get this idea of what you think God yeah, is. Yeah, which is a like, caricature, yeah. My, yeah. Yeah, my God or who I thought God was when I didn't believe in God was completely different than what even my very slim understanding of God yeah. now. When I wonder how many of us, and Derek, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this. How many people that are raised in the church still have a relationship with the caricature of God, not the actual character of God? I mean, an example, I, you know, my God is this. And whenever they said, they always put it mine, not your God. My God looks this way. My God would never tell me I'm wrong. Or my God would, would never do this. And I'm like, wait, wait, how do you know that's, that might be your God, but it doesn't mean it's the God. Yeah. And, and that's, I, I think one of the things that God's been doing in me is a lot of times my theology is really caricature theology. I have presuppositions. I have ideas of what, who I think God should be instead of letting God actually be God. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? I mean, especially I'd be curious coming from a youth pastor because you were, I was a youth pastor many, 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 many moons ago. <laughs> um, no, we don't measure in moons anymore. <laughs> you pagan. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I measure that's all. I'm, new moon's coming up. Speak for yourself. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about that? I mean, does that, you guys seem to 
Kate and, and Jennifer seem to ring with that. Is that is that something you see within youth culture or within people today? Is that more of a caricature and less knowing the character of God? Yeah. I, well, I do think everyone has their view of what God looks like, what he feels like. And I think that White does... guy about five foot six with red hair. No. No. no I don't think anyone <laughs> thinks that. Morgan Freeman. Uh, but I do, I do think it's... Morgan Freeman. <laughs> I do think it's important Morgan to... Freeman. Recognize that though, because it interpret or it changes it's, the way you interpret scripture. Yeah. yeah. Like so, if I if I view if I view God only through the lens of Jesus, and then I go back and read the Old Testament, it doesn't always seem to fit. Yeah. Or if I read the Old Testament, I think of a wrath-filled God that doesn't always jive with the Holy Spirit or jive with Jesus. And so, I think it interprets it changes the way you read scripture because you have a viewpoint in mind, and if what you're reading doesn't match that, then it's Either one, you quick dismiss it, or two, you try to like do gymnastics around it yeah. in order to make your view still fit instead of being open to what is who is God and what does he mean apart from how do I see him? Yeah. And I think that's if you have an awareness. So implicit bias is is when you make a when you make a determination just based on your experiences and what you've known to be true thus far. And it can really cloud your your decision-making abilities, your ability to like understand things. And so in order for you to understand implicit bias, you have to understand that you have it. You and have so to acknowledge think, you have a bias. And so, yeah. I mean, in your example of like, um, you know, looking through things, yeah, that's if you have an awareness that you have it. But if I, I have to take a deep step back and go, wait, is this true of God? Yeah. And and really reevaluate and really relearn. But first you have to acknowledge that you, what you're thinking might oh. not be right to begin with. Well, so I'll, I'll tell you one that for me personally, I've, I've wrestled with. Um, for years, I would say God would never give, I don't believe in a God who would ever give somebody cancer. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, first of all, I cannot tell, I cannot say what God will or will not do. First of all, I'm not God. Yeah. That's not fair. I always say, don't put God in a box. That's right. And that's what that is. I can't believe in a God who this will, could God give somebody cancer? Well, what if giving that person cancer brought them to Christ and now they end up in heaven because they got cancer? I'm not saying God does, but I can't limit. And that's one of those caricatures. I come in, yeah. my God would never do this. Well, how do you know he wouldn't? Maybe he understands something different than you do. Now, I look at the character of God and even this idea of discipline, and I know we're getting off topic a little bit, but I just had somebody ask me about, you know, what is what does it mean that God disciplines those he loves? And the person was like, I feel like God is disciplining me because all these bad things are happening. And when I look at scripture, particularly in the book of Romans, what I see is that the character of God, not the caricature of God, the caricature of God is this old grumpy guy with a magnifying glass burning ants or stepping on people or wanting to smite people. That's a caricature. But the image we see of God in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, and this is where Romans 1 comes in, he says, listen, God's wrath is he gives you exactly what you want. It's not that God punishes you and like, oh, you made a bad decision, so now I'm going to give you cancer. Now I'm going to do this. Yeah, you can't equate the natural consequence of sin with divine intervention. And I think, and sometimes we want to. So for instance, well, you know, the hurricane, oh, it's because there's there's all these sinners yeah. down in New Orleans. That's why they you always get hit. see those protesters too oh, that, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. like I'm thinking Westboro Baptist Church yeah. when they say like, these things happen because God's angry. And that's the caricature. They have yeah. this character. They don't, the character of God. Do we see instances of that in the Old Testament where God gives warning to a people through a prophet and says, if you don't do this, this is going to happen? Yes. But there's always a prophet giving a warning. And and I, I personally believe that the, the prophets of today are not what they were in the Old Testament. I don't believe that type of prophecy, prophet role exists anymore. Um, I still believe in the gift of prophecy, but it's not a, hey, I'm I'm talking to the people in New Orleans, and if you don't do this, then God's going to do this to you. The Holy Spirit works in a different way now through, after the cross. Well, and, yeah, and, and ultimately the Old Testament prophets weren't about foretelling the future. They were calling people to repentance, repentance and obedience, yeah. right? Which but, I do, I mean, in that regard, I think prophecy does can still exist. Right? That's why I still believe in it. I still yeah. believe prophecy exists. I can tell you anytime the Word of God is preached, there's a prophetic utterance where God is speaking to somebody. We've all had that moment where even on Sunday, Derek, I'm sure there were people who, as you were preaching, there was something inside where the spirit was checking a person going, oh my gosh, he's talking to me. Yeah. I need to go. I need to turn back. I'm, I've missed the point. That's prophecy. Yeah. Even testimonials that, can have that. That's right. Yeah. Well, here's, here's why I get, here's why I'm getting to this. 
part of, I think, one of our caricatures that exists of God is a God who's waiting for up there for us to prove ourselves. Yeah. And one of the things you got into is it's a, a big trap for us as an American culture, which is that people are only valuable by what they do. That you're only valuable for God if you do something for his kingdom. And I remember I had a pastor who said this to me once, better to flame out than rust out. Mm. And his whole thing was, Jason, you should be working 80 hours a week for God because that's what matters to God. You need to be giving your all. You should be doing, 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 doing. And his thing was, I'd rather burn out than rust out. And he eventually did. Um, and I look at that, and that's not the image of God that we see, because now all of a sudden I'm proving my worth to God. I'm proving, oh, I better demonstrate to Jesus that I was worth saving. It's like the end of Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, you guys remember that scene where there's the... You've never seen Saving Private Ryan? No. Oh, Jennifer, mm -hmm. we got to watch that. Seriously? Oh, my gosh. Derek and I have a movie date, but not a you, weird one. Not a weird movie date. <laughs> so at the very end of it, Tom Hanks is, is it's a person who's supposed to be Tom Hanks, much older, falls at the cemetery at the, the feet of this grave where all these people who gave their lives so he could survive. Mm. And he turns to his wife, and he's an old man, and his grandchildren Spoilers. are there. Spoilers. I'm totally spoiling it. No, you need to see it. And he turns, and he says, um, was I worth it? And his whole thing was, did did he do it? Did was it was it worth it? Was I worth it? Did I, did I, did I, did I make their sacrifice worth it? And a lot of us think that's how we approach Jesus, is yeah. if somehow, if I if I achieve enough for the kingdom yeah. of God, and think about how many was pastors... Jesus's blood shed in vain for my life? Yes, and the and how do we determine that? Yeah. We determine it based on, well, how much did you do for the kingdom? How big was your church? How many lives did you save? I How had much this, did you pray? I had like this mental belt when I was a kid, and this is why I, I was kind of a jerk for Jesus. I thought my job was to go out and save souls. And I thought the best way to save souls was to help them realize they were sinners. So every time I, I had this picture like in my head, well, if I did it, I put a notch on my belt. Okay, there's one. There's one. It's the starfish analogy, right? Yeah. But the problem is now all of a sudden it's based upon well, I'm worth it if I prove I did enough for God's kingdom, then God will say, well, that you proved your point. You proved that I was right by saving you, Jason. Let's talk a little bit about that American culture. What's the danger I, of productivity in, in Christianity? I read a book, The Karma of Jesus. I don't remember who. <gasps> She said karma. Yeah. And it was, it was a good book for me when I read it um, coming from a very mystic new agey background um and it was written specifically for that kind of demographic to be like okay you believe in karma or this caricature almost of karma and how how can you equate jesus to that and pretty much what they said was what this book was saying was that you can never do do your way out of the doo-doo you can't and i, I still <laughs> like me a second. I, I was you're like, welcome i still use that with kids do you can't do do your way out of doo-doo it, and you can never do enough good karma to outweigh your bad karma. You never, ever can. And if you know of like the butterfly effect, you know, you slammed on your brakes and somebody had to slam on their brakes behind you and they spilt their coffee and are late for work. Is that your fault? In all of these things that are unintentional that yeah. you could never even understand that you've done, even those things, can you make up for that somehow? There's never enough. And, and this guy in this book that wrote this, Karma of Jesus, he, he said, you can try, this isn't a perfect analogy or anything, he said, but you can try to picture Jesus as a karmic dumping ground. He takes all of this bad that you've done and says, okay, you can never outweigh this, but I tip the scales for you. That, that it's God that doesn't weigh of God you. that we talked yes, about. That heaviness of ago, God yeah. that I tip the scales for you. And that book really helped me think of that differently because I'm a very works based person, even before I knew that Christianese term of works based. Yeah. Where it's like, I've always thought I needed to earn my worth in this world. One, as a young woman, I felt like I needed to yell to be heard in a room. But two, as just a person in life, a generally scrappy kid that grew up in poverty and just kind of a weirdo growing up. Like I felt like I had a bit of a rough go of it. Have a chip on your shoulder. Right. So I gotta I gotta I got something to prove. And I feel like a lot of Americans feel that way. A lot of Americans feel like, you know, that they're chasing this American dream that they've got to reach for the stars. And if you're if you're not driven or passionate or 
um, aggressive, then you're weak. Well, and that's fall, that's fallen into the church, though. And yeah, I think that's, that's what I wanted to talk about is I think that's that caricature, again, that caricature, not the character of God, who, you know, how many pastors are burning out? Because they think the goal yeah. is I have to do more, I have to do more. And I'm not saying we, we're lazy and do less, but it, it comes back to if you're trying to prove to yourself or Jesus that you've done enough, you're one, always going to fall short because there's always somebody who could do more. But is that really what the cross is about? I was thinking about what you said about um, Saving Private Ryan and how he was like, am I worth it? And I think what's so beautiful about the cross is without anything we we could do or not do that was our worth was declared but i think the other part of that is it flips it around so i'm not <laughs> jesus's sacrifice doesn't um i don't have to live up like i don't have to ask the question at the end of my life well did i am i worth it yeah. for that but the opposite is true of like because of the worth that was declared over me I want to live a life that yeah. brings glory to that. And so that it's kind of one of those things where it's like, but it's kind of like a chicken and the egg. <laughs> like yeah. what came first, my, my worth or Jesus declaring that? And then I live out of that. Yeah. I, I misspoke. It wasn't actually Tom Hanks's character because Tom Hanks is the one who died in the movie. It was Matt Damon's character. Oh. But no, here's why Spoilers. he says it. I'm spoiling. If you haven't seen it by now, that's on you. You still should. It's, it's still really worth watching. But actually, where the scene comes down to, what leads up to that graveyard scene is towards the very end, Tom Hanks is dying, and he turns to Matt Damon, the young Matt Damon, who they've just come to rescue, and Tom Hanks says to him, earn this. Oh, so that's how it That's what started. led up to it, is him right. saying at the very end, he's like, earn this, and then, he, uh, and then he dies. Oh, okay. And now you have Matt Damon as an old man who's at the gravestone with his family going, was I worth it? Was mm -hmm. I worth it? Did I earn it? Yeah, but just the beauty, like just the difference in, in Christ of, that wasn't what he said to us. Amen. Like yeah. no, nowhere on the cross. Could you imagine Jesus on the cross? And as he's dying, he looks at me and says, earn this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, but isn't that we what laugh, a lot of us do? Like, though? Try. That's, yeah, That's a lot try. of us. We picture Jesus on the cross and not saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We picture Jesus as like, better be worth it. Yeah. <laughs> um. How has that productivity mentality, how have you seen that play in your life? I mean, you just talked a little yeah. bit about it in yours, but particularly as a Christian, how, is that, how has that affected you? I can tell you that um, even it, like, it, it interrupts my entire day. So like if I'm in quiet time with the Lord, do you know how distracted I get by the amount of tasks I have to do? And you're wasting your time doing quiet time because you're and I'm wasting my time do. doing quiet time. And then my quiet time is... Uh, not very fruitful because I'm considering all the things I have to yeah. do. So it inner like it disrupts my my life, or where I'll be like working on one task, and then I have, then I start another one, and then I start another one, and then I gotta go back to the first one. It's like it it just is it just is like a, a crazy psychotic cycle yeah. of like this isn't how we were supposed to live, and that hurry and that rush and that busyness robs us of an opportunity to have deeper fuller community with christ and yeah. with others yeah for me uh it's never been the productivity itself like when i was an engineer like i had so much stuff on my desk that i needed to do it just kept like piling up like each week more and more would come and i just get farther and farther behind and i just went to my boss one day and he's just like I keep having me go to meetings I'm like, either I go to meetings or I get this other work done. He's like, well, you need to be in the meetings. So it's like I had to very quickly just know that I can't get everything done. It's just that's not that's not the reality of it. But my problem, moreover, is I want it done a certain way. Like I need it to be done right or correct. And if it's not, then I do have a problem with it. And yeah. so my productivity would be more that. not Quality over yeah, quantity. Not, not number of tasks. Like it's very easy for me to dismiss a task like yeah. going through my email. <laughs> I shouldn't say that <laughs> online. If, you're not, if, you, if Derek has not responded to your email, you now know why. <laughs> well, but, and I, I look back at the garden, and I think one of the traps we fall into is that, and Jesus talked about this, is that man was not created for Sabbath, but Sabbath was created for the man. Yes. But equally true, man was not created for work. Work was created for man. Work gives us purpose. Yes. Work gives us a task and a holy calling. Work is holy. Yeah. Labor, toil is not. 
Toil is the result of the curse. Work, God intended Adam and Eve to work in the garden. They were supposed to expand the borders, the boundaries, to bring the kingdom out into the world. Well, and even Jesus, he was he was productive. Yeah. But well, I think we look at him pretty lazy now. What's that? I think Jesus would be fired by most churches today. He would, be, he would look lazy, yeah. Because you would look at him and go, wow, what, show me your productivity list. Right, <laughs> right. How many, You're how, hanging out with the wrong people. You party all the time. Like, how many meetings did you do? <laughs> yeah. How much money you saved changing water to wine? That's yeah, that's, like, hey, Jesus, do that again. But I mean, again, standpoint, hey, that's a pretty good deal. But we can fall on the other side of <laughs> that and thinking the goal is laziness. And that's not it at all. I yeah. mean, Paul even says, if you don't work, you don't eat. So yeah, it says that in Thessalonians. But how often do we confuse holy work and good work with just work? And then even that, and again, I'll just speak as, as someone in ministry. I'm coming up on my 21st or 22nd year of ministry. 22nd, 2022 will be 22 years. And the danger for every pastor, and I've wrestled with him myself, is to look back and then do a checklist of how much did I accomplish. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking about this even from Jesus, Jesus's perspective of when you were like, be fired. Especially in ministry or any job where uh, your calling is primarily people. Yeah. Right? So, you know, you it's hard to be like, well, I discipled three people today. You know how much time that takes? It's much more. It's not really quantifiable. It's not. It's, it's not. It's not quantifiable, and it doesn't look as good when you can be like, "Well, I've got seven things off my to do list." Yeah. Like that looks better. I feel like Zion would give me a raise if I came off a boat and four thousand people just started to gather anywhere I went. But then once and they I'd all hop. left because you said hard Ooh, things, I'd be super they'd... weirded. But out then I get that. in the boat and I go to the other side, and they all they literally follow me around the Sea of Galilee when I park on the other side. They just are all there again. So I feel like you'd be accused of like witchcraft. Well, so here's here's what I think oh, would boy. happen. Now, this is how I think Jesus in the modern church would be. He'd come first and like, dude, this guy's a rock star. Look at all the people gathering. Oh my gosh, he's performing miracles. Everybody loves him. Then he starts saying hard things yeah. and he goes to the fastest growing church to the fastest declining yeah. church. Oh, this guy, he's, you know, Jesus, you're spending way too many times eating out. You're, you're, yeah. you're going to too many meals. You know, you're focusing too much on that small group of guys right there. And I think, and again, I think there's a danger in just saying, well, then the goal is laziness. No, I think what Jesus modeled in that community was he understood his identity was not in his work. Yeah. He understood his identity was not in the opinions of what people thought of him. And when we talk about new creation, which is ultimately what this whole message was about, part of what I wonder if God is creating us is a new understanding of what it means to be human. Because the world, particularly America, uh, from what I've been told, I've only been to one other country, two now. I've been to Haiti, I've been to Africa, three, and Mexico, but I don't think that counted. Africa because it was a continent. I love you. Well, I technically, <laughs> I went to Zimbabwe. She was said, that I better? Love you, I, gave her the I went to Zimbabwe. <laughs> I went to Zimbabwe, which is in Africa, the yes. continent of Africa. But I've heard, and I've, I cannot verify this for sure, that. America values productivity and busyness more than almost any oh, other sure. culture. Oh, sure. I mean, you look at just even like maternity leave and weeks taking time naps, off. The amount of time off that's offered. Yeah. yeah. And and we it's an achievement. You ask most Americans, we always brag about how busy we are because busy is a status of productivity. Mm-hmm. Well, and not only that too, busy but busy don't get. Sorry, it's a song. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm not, not familiar with it. Uh I was thinking about even like, even when we do try to Sabbath, like even when we do take vacation, that's work. Oh yeah. Or I'm thinking about like work. We, like we Can't honestly do not know how to yeah. do it. We just had this conversation in the women's restroom <laughs> and I come in and yeah. she's like, <laughs> she'd been sitting there a minute and she goes, I'm sorry. I, did, I got distracted. I'm answering an email. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not taking a long time. And I said, that's okay. I get it. I literally have to set my phone All down on the bathroom counter on the break, down. <laughs> so true. that I stop answering my email. I get up off of my desk answering <laughs> emails, about the and I anymore. take my ba- take my phone to the bathroom and I'm still looking at my emails and I have to physically set it down just to take two seconds to take care of my needs I know we were thinking like we were literally created to like get rid of waste and what do we do in that just that we got to be productive in that waste yeah that's ridiculous <laughs> I'm the yes. odd one out here. I don't do that. Neither do I. <laughs> I went on vacation nine days. I did not think of yeah. you guys once. Sorry. We are getter duns though. <laughs> well, well, I I try. I 
I've had to learn the hard way. So I really do try, like in particular vacation or my days off, I try very, very, very hard not to work. But that's not true of a lot of people. Yeah. And it is intentional. I have to intentionally not. My inclination is to do it. And and I'll be honest, the church is probably the most guilty of this with those on church staff. You know, I've, I think I've told all the staff this. Um, if the church would, and I mean the church as an institution, not Zion, any church you go to, they would take every second, every minute of your day if you let them. And a lot of it, this is why I've met so many pastor's kids who are bitter towards the church because they didn't have a dad. And I remember talking to somebody who said, well, well, no, you gave your life for the sacrifice of the Lord, and that's how it should be. You shouldn't be spending time with your kids. You should always be ministering to other people and trust that God will take care of your kids. Last time I checked, God called me to be their dad, not somebody else. And I remember uh, I listened to, and I want to be careful how I say this, I was listening to an interview with John Piper, um, and he was teaching a woman's conference, and he made a comment about how holy it was that these were pastors' wives at how how blessed they should feel that their husbands are not at home with them because they're doing the Lord's work. And I went there and I'm like, did, did you just seriously say that? Like, it's a badge of honor that your husband's gone all the time and you need to stop asking time of your husband. And I'm like, no, at the end of the day, I, be- I truly believe what I see in scripture. This is why Paul says it's better not to be married. My first priority is my family. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that I don't have other priorities. And there are nights when my kids are bummed I'm not home, but Man, we got to, especially in the church, we got to stop making those who are in ministry, whether it's volunteer ministry or paid, that somehow it's a badge of honor to neglect your family. And we see this in the world, but the church is supposed to be different than the world. Well, and I think about this even just from Christian employees and employers. I know a lot of Christian, Jesus-loving bosses who do not, like they should be the first people to A, live it out and B, give that grace to their to their staff like we're supposed I, we, to be different we are missing a yes we are missing a mark where it's not just christian ministry it's if this is what god has called us to do then this is freedom to be this way throughout well, i even laughed like when i went on vacation uh derek was like you, you don't need to check your email i was like oh buddy i won't i will literally shut off my notifications yeah. but i know so many christian men and women who are like then not only is it not real in their own life, but then they perpetuate that onto yeah. their staff and how unhealthy yeah. that is and exhausting. Well, this goes to the new creation, which is what I wanted to bring us back to is part of being a new creation is we're supposed to model what it looks like to be the humans that Jesus has called us to be for the world. And so even the church, why, why should a church say, well, you know what? Your buddy who works over at Apple works 70 hours a week. You should work 80 because who's more important, Jesus or Apple? This is when I lived in Silicon Valley. Uh, well, is that what Jesus told you to do? I mean, yes, Jesus demands your life, but it doesn't mean that you run into this pace of burnout, flaming out, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so I think that's part of that new creation is it's we, we have to flow from a different place. And that's part of what the Holy Spirit does in us. Um, oh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think part of Jesus demanding our whole life is our whole life, including our Sabbath. Yes, resting, abiding, Mm -hmm. sitting in the word. That's all things that take time that can feel unproductive. Yeah. Well, and Sabbath is very unproductive from a physical perspective. From a spiritual and relational perspective, it is incredibly productive. That's why one of of my, I don't know, it's not my favorite, but I really like the the rich young ruler in Matthew. Mm -hmm. Go and sell all your stuff. Yeah, it's to go up and sell everything, like. When I when I when we had to do a deep dive into it uh, in seminary, and one of the things that we came from it is that God might be asking different things from each of us. That depending on where we're at in life, it may not be sell everything yeah. you have. That's weird. Like I, I don't think I don't think God's ever came down and said, Derek, you know, sell everything you have. But God is speaking to me in some way, and he, and you know, whatever I'm holding on to, that thing that I I don't want to give up. I think that's the thing he's going to ask me to give up. Yeah. What's the thing he's telling you to sell? Yeah. yeah. And so, I don't know. I always, I always go back to that. I think about that. So, it could be time. It could be, it could be money. It could be anything. So, Well, yeah. if, we're, if we as the new creation, and, you know, in a few weeks, we're going to be talking a little bit more about what God is asking us to become. What does it actually mean to be a new creation? Because it's not like all of a sudden I become a Christian, I get the Holy Spirit, and now I've got new skin. And if you were to take my DNA sample, I he's got some weird genetic marker. He's not a he's not the old Jason. He's a new Jason. 
What does it actually mean to be, from a biblical perspective, new creation? I think, like, when I first found Jesus and I started to walk in faith, I thought that this magical Roomba was going to come in and clean up my life, and that's what new creation meant, was that my life would be new, and I'm just all of a sudden new, and everything's different and perfect, and I can be happy too. And you'll never and, get sick, and, and yeah, you'll never be tragedy or Yeah, and it's or, like, you know, the vending machine or the, you know, the slot machine of, of blessings just rain upon me and my children and children and children. <laughs> and it didn't work like that. But the things, it was for a little while there, it felt like I was living almost a double life where it didn't just all of a sudden stop. The things that were still sinful and that I wanted to do, my desires, they were still there. And I, it took a long time and a lot of hard work to be like, oh, I need to stop this. I need to stop this. And that was really hard for me. And I felt like I would do, you know, the Saturday night things and then Sunday morning church in this double life. But when I was doing that, it it didn't carry the same reward. Yeah. Doing the desirable things that I wanted to do didn't carry the same weight anymore. And it still and now that I know it's different. And that new create there was something absolutely different about me. You know, yeah. that I love that that line in the chosen where she says, I was one way before and now I'm a completely different way. And the only thing that was in between was Jesus. Yeah. And that's that's what I think of when I'm saying new creation. Like, no, my DNA is not different. And no, just inherently my habits aren't different either. I have to be obedient. I have to make yeah. an active choice to walk in faith. But there is something inside of me because of Jesus and my faith in him that is different. And I think it comes from the cross and community. Yeah. The more I keep my life in view of the cross, the more I realize just how distasteful the things previous to the cross were. And the more I'm in community, when I'm in healthy community, I was just listening to uh, Craig Groeschel's pod, leadership podcast. Oh. And he said, uh, if you want to grow as a leader, you, it's about who you surround yourself as a person. And then he has a statement that he got from somewhere else is that in your group of friends, you will always be in the middle of the pack. So that means if you have healthy, Jesus-loving people that are growing in business, in this case, it was leadership, you're probably going to be in the middle of the pack, wherever you are, which means if you want to grow, surround yourself with people that are more than you are right now because you're going to grow with them. You might be still in the middle of the pack, but you'll be middle of that new pack. And part of that new creation for us is that's, that doesn't happen in isolation. And I think, uh, and Derek, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. When we talk about new creation, I think sometimes that's really confusing because what we think is, is all of a sudden, well, my desires should change. I became a Christian. Why didn't my desires change? And, or uh, I became a Christian. How come I'm still struggling with this? I mean, I've had people, I gave my life to Jesus. How come I'm still struggling with X, Y, Z? I must not be doing enough. I'm not, yeah, I'm not doing something right. Mm -hmm. what, do, what do you think it means in that sense to be new creation? So when I look at it, when I view it, I see it as uh, the freedom from sin. So mm -hmm. whenever, you know, whenever before the cross, like we are, we are enslaved to it. Our decision making is, is not out of our control. Like we are destined not to get too graphic. But we are destined to hell. It's one of those things like we can't, there is no way for us to earn salvation. We talked about that. There's no way to, to get there on our own. And so we have no say in it. We have no. We did, there's no way for us to resist it on our own, but Jesus's death on the cross provided that hope. It provided freedom from sin because he overcame it. And so when I look at new creation, it's not that the sin's going to go away because there's still, I talked about it last, last week, there's a gap there, a gap of time between uh, now and before Jesus finally returns. Like we live in the moment now, but there's still a, we're waiting for Jesus' return. That sin is still going to be there, but it doesn't hold us captive. It doesn't keep us enslaved. We have a hope beyond that. And without Jesus, there is no hope, and you are enslaved to it. And so to yeah. me, that's what that new creation brings. That's what, it, in the end, that's what, that's what it's about. So, and that's, I think that's a, a better way of looking at it, because so often we wonder, why didn't my desires change? Well, here's the thing. Now you have the potential for your desire to change. That's the new creation. Before, you only had the old desire available. And now you have the Holy Spirit, which is, I think it's Ezekiel when he talks about, you'll have now hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone. And the law now will be written on your hearts instead of written on, on a stone that was the Ten Commandments. And I think part of the problem that so often comes in when people think about new creation, you still have a part in that. 
you still have to be willing to soften, to surrender. And the more you surrender to Jesus, the more that new creation works in you. So you have that potential for energy. You have that potential for great power and freedom. It's what are you doing to actually activate and live in that power and freedom? And that's our piece of it. Yeah, it's still your choice. Because we're not victims to holiness. And I I mean, I I was thinking about that from Sermon Read Through. Sometimes we think like holiness is just something that happens to us. No, we're not victims to it. We, We partake in it. We participate with it, and the more that I, the more that I live in obedience to Christ, the more that I, it's like my taste buds. I hated, 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 hated Brussels sprouts, because the only ones I ever had were slimy. They were boiled and they were disgusting. And then I ate at this restaurant that had crispy Brussels sprouts, and all of a sudden I was like, these are amazing. But ultimately, what changed was I started taking care of my health. And I started taking care of my health and I started eating better. I wasn't eating sweets as much. I started eating broccoli and salad. And then I had Brussels sprouts. My taste changed because I had had framed my mind differently. Well, a lot of the reasons why we have Christians who are living in the old creation, it's not that the new creation is not there. It's that they've never stepped into it. They've never stepped into the beauty of what it looks like to obey Jesus. It's just like in giving and tithing. I can't tell you for how many years I didn't tithe because I saw it as me. I was giving my money to something I didn't believe in. Once God got a hold of my heart on the issue of money and tithing, now I love it. It's like when I, I don't even give a second thought about it because that new creation part, now I've surrendered to that, I've stepped into that in obedience, that's my part. But now the Holy Spirit has changed my taste buds for it, changed my desire for it. So now it's something that I thought was icky or gross before. Now all of a sudden I find great joy. Well, hey, this was this was actually fun. We had some good, this was a, this was an interesting week. We got in some good good rabbit trails on this one. Uh, Hey, if you found this helpful, do me a favor, share it with somebody. If you're listening on whatever platform you are, Facebook, uh, or yeah, I think it is on Facebook too. Podcasts on the website, share it with a friend. Still love to have your feedback and uh, not, well, actually this coming week, we're actually going to have our Zion launch party and we're giving away a green mountain grill smoker and it's invite your friends. This is open for everybody. You don't have to be a member of Zion. And we're not collecting your information. This is, I think, the big thing I want anybody here to know. We're just going to have you sign your name. And if your name gets drawn, you win it. We're not asking for a phone number or email. We just want to love our city well. And this is a way to bless someone in our city. We're going to have laser tag and inflatables and free food. And it's just going to be a great time. And we're excited for the upcoming yeah. season. Oh. That's, God has been faithful and we are just so excited to see what he's which is why this is a launch. We're launching into something new and I am super excited about it. Uh, Hey, thank you so much for tuning in guys. It was a great conversation today. Derek, again, great job on this sermon series and I'm excited to hear more of what God is going to be doing. This is Jason. This is Kate. Derek. Thank you so much for tuning in. You have an amazing day and hopefully see you on Sunday. Thank you for listening to the Breakthrough Breakdown, a Zion podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, and check out the Zion app. Share this episode with your friends so they can tune in as well. We'll be back next Wednesday with another installment of the Breakthrough Breakdown. Bob Goff, this is my weekly shout out and professing my love for you. Bye.